here at Hope. Once a year, we try to unplug and pull away from the day-to-day functionings of a ministry like this at Hope. And we try for three or four days to just be alone together and alone with the Lord and just seek the face of God. Just sit before the Lord to receive instruction, direction, because we understand it's not our ministry to lead, it's His ministry that He's entrusted to us and our responsibility before Him is to be sensitive to His Spirit and to steward what He's placed in our hands as leaders. So we do that once a year. We we pull away. There are five of us on that team, and we just get along with God for three or four days. We just spend a lot of time in prayer, a lot of time in the Word. And we did that just a couple of weeks ago. And this time, this year, we went down to Southern California to kind of do that. The first day we got there, we went on a Monday and got down there late on a Monday afternoon and kind of got settled in, went to dinner, and then we, after sunset, decided, hey, let's, let's drive down to where the beach is and let's just go down there and just sit for a minute. We drove down there to the ocean, and I'm sure you've had this experience where you, it's dark. You're out there on the beach. You're just, I walked right up by, just by myself. I left the other guys just walked right up to the edge of the shoreline there where the waves are just kind of crashing onto the shore. And I don't know about you, but there's never a moment in my life that I feel smaller than when I'm standing there before the magnitude of the ocean. I mean, you're, you're listening to those waves as they're crashing onto the shore. And you can just, as far as you can see, there's just the depth of the darkness, of the mystery, and the wonder of the ocean. I don't know what that's like for you. For me, it's, it's just one of those moments when I get to kind of recalibrate a little bit. You can get so caught up in the day-to-day, so caught up in everything that's going on that there are those moments you need to just recalibrate. And standing there before the majesty of the ocean is one of those moments for me. Well, this morning, as we continue our journey through the book of Psalms, we find David... In one of those moments. Like that moment for me where I'm standing there in awe of the creation of God. David, where we pick him up this morning in the book of Psalms, is in one of those moments where David is not just in awe of the ocean or in awe of the heavens, but David is overwhelmed by the majesty and the glory of God. Hope Church, God is great. I hope for you as we sing Those words, how great thou art. That those are not just words. The danger is we become so familiar with those words that they lose their significance. When the songwriter wrote those words, very much like David, he was overwhelmed. With the majesty of God. God is great. I'm praying that as you read daily through the Psalms. That in your journey through the book of Psalms. You are overwhelmed. By the greatness 
God. When is the last time you were just overwhelmed? Without words, the greatness of God. David, in the psalm that I'm going to read for you this morning, had one of those moments. And the picture is, as you read the psalm, you'll pick up on it. The picture is that David is probably out in a field, maybe shepherding sheep. The sun has set, the stars have come out, and David is laying there looking up at the vastness of the expanse that God created. And in the eighth chapter of the book of Psalms, you can turn there if you have it, here's what he says. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth who displayed Your splendor above the heavens. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength. Because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. When I consider your heavens. David's laying there and he's looking up. When I consider... When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have made, which you have ordained, what is man? (laughs) You hear what he's saying? Who am I? Oh, God. Who am I that you would take thought of him, the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than God. You crown him. Him with majesty and glory. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field. The birds of the heaven and the fish of the sea. Whatever passes through the paths of the sea. And then he just couldn't help but say it again. Oh Lord. Our Lord. Majestic is your name in all the earth. You get that David was a little overwhelmed as you read that. Listen, as you read daily through the Psalms, don't be in a hurry. I encourage you every day to open the Psalm and begin by saying this, God, would you speak to me about who you are? And Lord... 
I'm going to do my very best to listen. How majestic. The word majestic is a word that means in Hebrew, mighty, powerful, magnificent, glorious, great. Think about it that way. Oh Lord, our Lord, how magnificent. How powerful, how glorious, how mighty is your name. David says, you displayed your splendor above the heavens. It's it's an interesting little word. The word displayed there is a word that means simply to put or to place something. It's as if you said, I displayed that Bible on that podium. I put it there. David is so overwhelmed with the greatness of God. He says, God, you just, you just put You just put your splendor above the heavens. Nineteen seventy six. Nineteen seventy six, the Helios two was shot from Cape Canaveral into outer space, and it's significant because it broke maximum speed in space. The fastest thing we've ever sent into outer space was Helios 2. It traveled just over 150,000 miles per hour. Now, I know some of you were running late when you got to church this morning. (laughs) Some of you were moving pretty good. But none of you were going 150,000 miles per hour. 150,000 miles per hour, that's moving. Just imagine for a moment that we were all right now buckled in on a spaceship traveling 150,000 miles per hour into outer space. Now, here's David. He's laying there. He's looking up in the sky and he's looking at the stars and he says, you just put all that there. 150,000 miles per hour. We're we're rocketing into outer space. Do you know how long it would take us to get to star number one? Not like number 10 or number 10 billion, but star number one. It would take us 18,000 years. To reach Alpha Centauri, star number one, traveling 150,000 miles per hour. David said, you just put that there. Oh, Lord. Our Lord. How majestic, how magnificent, how mighty, how powerful is your name. David is overwhelmed by the greatness of God. The same heartbeat Jeremiah had in Jeremiah chapter 10 when he wrote these words. There is none like you. Oh, 
Lord. You are, say it out loud, great. And great is your name in might. Who would not fear you? O king of the nations, indeed it is your due. For among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. Wow! My intention this morning was to preach to you from the entire 8th chapter of the book of Psalms. But I couldn't get past the first four words. So if it's all right with you, we're just going to look at the first four words this morning. When, 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 we, when we study to teach and preach the Word of God here at Hope, typically we, whoever's preaching here has got anywhere from 12 to 20 hours a week in a text of Scripture before the Holy Spirit of God, wanting to hear God speak into our lives so that when we stand before you, you don't hear a man speak. We all know what that is, but you hear God speak through a man. Sometimes when we get into that process of digging into the Word of God, there's just too much in there to make it here. So we always leave a lot of stuff on the cutting room floor, if you will, in the process of getting to this moment. But this weekend, it was a lot. Oh, Lord, our Lord. Say it with me. Oh, Lord, our Lord. A casual reading of this psalm and you think David is just repeating the name Lord for poetic purposes. But that is not, that, that's not at all what David was doing here. As a matter of fact, if you have one of the better translations into the English language, you're looking at your Bible and there's actually a distinction between the first Lord and the second Lord. The first Lord is in all caps in many of the translations that we have today in English. I think the better translations communicate it that way. The first Lord is in all caps. The second Lord... The first letter is capitalized, but the remaining letters are in the lower case. That is to distinguish that these are not repetitions of the same word. These are two distinctly different Hebrew words. David declares, oh, Lord, the first Hebrew word there is the word that you and I would pronounce either one of two ways, Yahweh or Jehovah. Either of those are English pronunciations of this Hebrew word. It's a Hebrew word that is specifically the proper name of God his name. He begins by declaring the name of God. He's so overwhelmed as he looks into the glory of the heavens and he is considering all that God has done that all David can do is just cry out the name of God. Oh, Lord. Ancient Jews would not even pronounce this name in some instances for fear of mispronouncing it and misspeaking the divine name. It's interesting for us to have an English translation, Yahweh or Jehovah, 
What we did, well, what's happened, and what happened in the ancient world is they took the vowels out of the second word translated Lord, and they carried those vowels to the first word translated Lord because the name Yahweh literally has no vowels in it. They put vowels from the, the second word, which we're going to talk about in a second. It's the word Adonai. They took those vowels and dropped them into Yahweh to give us an English pronunciation, Jehovah or Yahweh. It comes from a root Hebrew word that simply is a verb of existence and it means to be. Second word, second Lord It's the Hebrew word Adonai. And when used in the singular form, it simply means owner or master or ruler. The one in charge. When it's used as it is here in the plural form, in the Bible it is only used exclusively To refer to God. It's never used in the plural form to refer to anyone but God. So here's David. Overwhelmed by the majesty of God. Overwhelmed by creation. And David says, Yahweh! (laughs) The one in charge. Now from... Those two little Hebrew words, we learn many things about God. I'm not going to tell you how many because I don't know how many I'm going to get to this morning. But we learn many things about God. I want to share with you some of them. Here's the first one. God is. Most scholars agree that this Hebrew root, to be, speaks to the existence of God. It describes His existence. Do do you remember the story from Exodus chapter 3? In Exodus chapter 3, one of the most famous characters of the Old Testament, a man named Moses was minding his own business on the backside of the Midian desert. He'd been there for 40 years. He did not wake up on this particular day expecting anything to be different than it had been the previous 40 years. And yet Moses in Exodus chapter 3 is walking along and he notices a bush that is burning. Now, that's not totally uncommon if you're in the desert to see a bush that is burning. What caught his attention is it did not stop burning. When it should have burned up and been ashes, this bush just continued to burn. Moses said, I think I'll go check that out. And he gets to the burning bush and God speaks to Moses from the burning bush. And long story short, he's giving Moses the call to go back to Egypt and lead the children of Israel out of 400 years of bondage in Egypt into the promised land. So that's the big story that's taking place there at the burning bush. But Moses begins to think, you know, when I show up among my people that I hadn't seen in over 40 years and tell them, hey, I'm going to lead you out. Maybe I ought to tell them who sent me. So Moses, in this conversation with God in the bush, says... When they ask, who sent me? 
Who should I tell them sent me? Look at Exodus chapter 3 verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. You know what that is? It's the root Hebrew word. We get the word Yahweh from. It's to be. It's the verb of the state of being verb. God says, you tell them I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And just think about that for a minute. Who sent you? I am. I mean, it reads good now in the Bible, but when you heard it the first time as Moses did, uh, I'm going to say, what? It's a name that reveals the eternal existence of God. God, who are you? I am. Here's what that means. There's never been a time when God was not. He is. He didn't say, I have been. He didn't say, I will be. He said, I am. You see, you can travel back as far as you want to go in history. And wherever you land, God is. As a matter of fact, you can go all the way to the first four words in the Bible. You know what they are? In the beginning... You know what that means? That means before the first second ever ticked off the clock of time. Before the first sunrise, before the first ray of sunlight ever broke over the first horizon. Before the first bird ever sat in the top of a tree and sang a song when there was no earth, no galaxy, no sun, no ocean, no human race, no nothing. There was God. When the beginning began, He already am. You ever tried to wrap your mind around the concept of eternal? Charles Ryrie said it this way. He said, the attribute of eternity means that God exists endlessly. Now, I think we can get that part. It's this next part. His existence extends endlessly backward and forward. Now that's where the train begins to move off the track for us. Because in our humanity, we can maybe wrap our minds around something with no ending. We got all kinds of English words for that. Eternal. Everlasting, never-ending, perpetual, forever, endless. We got all kind of words that describe something with no ending. Come up with another one besides eternal that means no beginning or ending. He never began. He never ends. He just am. Now, <clears throat> I know where your mind goes when you start thinking about this because mine does too. And I'm going to caution you to be careful 
but, but we begin to think, how long, how long backward did he exist before he created the world? <laughs> you better get you some aspirin. Because the answer is forever. <laughs> oh, Lord! Our Lord. Listen to how God describes himself in the last book of the Bible. In the book of Revelation, listen to what he says about himself. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the who? Say it out loud. Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come. Now, I want you to notice something in that verse. Leave that up here for a second. Who is who was, who is to come. When we talk about time, we always talk about time in this order. Past, present, future, right? I was, I am, I will be. Look at this. That's not how God does it. He goes present, who is, Past, who was, future, who is to come. Why didn't he follow the flow? Past, present, future. Because he's describing himself in relationship to time. You see, he is. Here's what that means. He existed outside of the parameters of time. He spoke all of time as we know it into existence. He just is. As far backwards and forwards as you want to go, he is. But then he was. Here's what that means. At a point in time, this God who existed outside the parameters of time, this God who spoke time into existence, took on human flesh and he entered time that he created in the person of Jesus Christ. And guess what? He was. And one day, he will bring all of time as we know it to an end because he is to come. Oh, Lord! Let me give you a life application for this first reality about God. God is always. Now here's why that should encourage you today. This word Yahweh speaks to the eternal present. He is. Listen. No days off. No breaks. The Word of God says about him, he never sleeps and he never slumbers. Why? Because he is. He is. Here's what that means. He's never caught off guard. There's never a moment when he's not aware. He's never surprised. God has never said, uh-oh. Why? Because he is. He is eternally in the present. He is. 
Here's what that means for you today. Sometimes we think that we are in the middle of circumstances that nobody has ever been through what I'm going through, preacher. Nobody's ever seen what I'm seeing. God, no, nobody's ever experienced what I've experienced. Listen to me. Here's what this speaks to us about God. He has seen it all. He has sustained his people through it all. And he has carried them out victoriously on the other side. Why? Because he sees tomorrow with the same clarity that he sees yesterday. Why? Because he is. God is. Oh, Lord. Let me give you a second one. This Hebrew word Yahweh speaks to us this reality. God is unchanging. This Hebrew word Yahweh could literally be translated He who is. That's why when He spoke to Moses, He said, You tell Him, I am who I am. I'm not changing, I'm not evolving, I'm not deteriorating. I am who I am. That's why God said of himself in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6, he said, for I, the Lord, do not change. Listen to the way another psalmist described it in Psalm 102. I love this. We'll get here in a few months. <laughs> of old, you founded the earth. And the heavens are the work of your hands. That's an important phrase. Hopefully we're going to talk about that in a minute. The heavens are the work of your hands. Even they will perish. But you endure. All of them will wear out like a garment, like clothing. You will change them, and they will be changed. But you are the same. In comparison to the unchanging nature of God, our universe is like a piece of clothing that you take off daily and just change into something new. Think about that. I mean, one of the things that we think is pretty stable is the universe. And the psalmist said, compared to the unchanging nature of God, the universe is like clothes that you take off and throw over in a pile and put something new on. He never changes. Here's what Millard J. Erickson in his systematic theology says. Look at it. What we are dealing with here is the dependability of God. He will be the same tomorrow as He is today. He will act as He promised. So here's the life application. God is always God. You didn't get how good a news that is. Let me tell you why that's good news. Today, some of you have come in here, and what you need today is the grace of God. Listen, I have good news for you today. He am. He am. He is as gracious today as He has ever been. He is as gracious today as He will ever be. If you've come in today in need of the grace of God, listen to me. He am. 
Hey, 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 some of you came in here today and you are weighed down by the guilt of your sin and you need today to experience the forgiveness of Almighty God. I have good news for you today. He am. Here's what that means. He is just as forgiving today as he has ever been. He is just as forgiving today as he will ever be. Why? Because God is always God. Some of you came in here today and you need the strength of God. You are weighed down by the burdens and the cares of this life and you need God to be strong for you. Listen to me. I have good news for you today. He am. He is as strong today as he has ever been and he is as strong today as he will ever be. Why? Because God is always God. Some of you came in here today and you are carrying need. Some of you, it's physical need. Some of you, it's financial need. Some of you, it's relationship need. But you came in today and you are carrying need. And you need the provision of God. I have good news for you today. He am. He is just as faithful to meet your need today as he has ever been. And he is as faithful to meet your need today as he will ever be. Why? Because God is always God. David said, oh, Lord. Oh, Lord, God is always God. Oh, listen, listen, listen. Some of you came in today, and you need to be saved. You need to experience a personal relationship with God. You have brought into this building today the weight of being separated from God because of your sin. You have brought into this building today the weight of living life without meaning and purpose. But I want you to hear me say something today. There is good news for you. Why? Because He am. He is saving people today just as much as He's always been saved saving people and he always will be saving people because God is always God. You all right? We hadn't got past word one yet. Oh, Lord. God is. And God is always God. He is unchanging. Mm. Let me give you another one. God is Sovereign. O Lord, our Lord. Second word is a word that literally could be translated in the singular owner, master, ruler. But here we have it in the plural where it's used exclusively to refer to God and David is overwhelmed by God's sovereign might as demonstrated in creation. He's just laying there looking up at it. And he's just overwhelmed. He's overwhelmed at the sovereignty of God in creation. Look at what he said in verse 3. When I consider, it means to, to observe and comprehend. David said, I'm just sitting here and I'm, God, I'm just looking at it and I'm just thinking about it. And when, when I consider, look at it, your <laughs> heavens. He didn't say the heavens. Oh, Lord, our Lord, you are in charge. God, when I consider your heavens, 
All creation belongs to you. Then he said, the work of your what? Say it out loud. You know why that's interesting? Because most of the places in the Bible where it talks about God anthropomorphically like this, where he's using an anthropomorphism, David is, is giving God as spirit, hands and fingers, to communicate to us the majesty of God. But most of the places where David does this, he always says the work of your hands. <laughs> but here he doesn't. <clears throat> you see, sometimes something is so big, I've got to use the strength of my whole arm to pick it up. Sometimes something's a little smaller and I can grab it with just my hand, but when it's nothing, I can just move that with my fingers. David said, oh Lord, our Lord, when I consider your heavens that you just put out there with your fingers. Then David says, the moon and the stars which you have ordained. Ordained is a word that in Hebrew, its primary action is this. To cause something to stand in an upright position. (laughs) David said, when I look at all this... That belongs to you because you made it with just the work of your fingers. And David said, I understand that it's all being held in an upright position because of you. Let me give you a life application. God is always in total control of whatever's happening in my life. Listen to me, child of God. Nothing is too big for God. I don't know what you came in here with this morning. But here's what I want you to leave knowing. It's not too big for God. Tonight when the sun goes down, go outside, look up at those stars. Oh, Lord, our Lord. It's all His. He spoke it all into existence. And He's holding it all in place. The one who has all of that under control (laughs) is in total control. Of everything in your life. And listen to me. If you are walking through it. It has been filtered through the love of God for you. And he is in control. He's in control. Let me just say one last thing. I'll be done. Here's the last thing. God is relational. Don't miss this. Oh, Lord. Our. Our. Lord. Oh, Lord. Our. Lord. That's why David in Psalm 23 said, The Lord is. Not a shepherd. The Lord, He's my shepherd. Now here's David looking up at all this majesty, overwhelmed by the eternal, unchanging, sovereign person of God. And here's what he says. Who am I? That you take thought. In Hebrew, the word take thought means 
to pay attention to. To take notice. (laughs) David's looking at all this. Who am I? (laughs) And listen. He doesn't just take notice of David. He's taking notice of you. And David here. Let me tell you what Psalm 8 is. It's David being overwhelmed. By the grace. Of almighty God. That this eternal. Unchanging. Sovereign. God. Would want. To know me and me to know him. And David can't get over it. He said, he said what am I that, that you would care for me? The word care is the idea of, of shepherding or providing for or searching out. It describes an ongoing relationship of care. And then David in the psalm says, And Lord, who am I that you've given me meaning? and for, You've put everything under my dominion. Here, here's the life application for this one. God is always pursuing me. How about this? How can, I, how can I have a relationship with an eternal, unchanging, sovereign God? How's that possible? Listen to me, listen. That is the whole story of the Bible. That God made you to know you and for you to know Him. But sin entered the picture and sin cut us off from God. Sin robbed us of the joy of a relationship with God. And the whole story of this book from Genesis to Revelation is God redeeming and restoring. It is the pursuit of God for you and for me. I don't understand that because, listen, he doesn't need me. He is. He's transcendent. He's independent. He's self-existent. Those are ones that didn't make it in today. But he's pursuing you. Oh, Lord, our Lord. How majestic is your name in all the earth.